THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 530, another landmark chromium-enhanced episode. I mean, it is a round number. That's right. Of the two-headed nerd comic book podcast nerds, my name is Matt Palm. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we're reviewing a bunch of Wednesday, May 29th's new comics with spotlight reviews of Batman, Last Night on Earth, number one, and... Heroes in Crisis, number nine. Don't be a baby. After oh, that, yeah. we'll review eight more of this week's comics while we flee from Godzilla's rage during the ludicrous speed round. Then it's down to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we're entertaining the Mothra twins and singing about our must-read picks for next week. They are adorable. And finally, JD Gotta Catch Em All sends us another dispatch from the Marble Lake House. It's all happening in this all-new, all-different, but strangely the same episode. But first, we better talk about this week's very serious. Nerd News! Matt, are you ready for the young Conan adventures? Wow, just when you thought we couldn't squeeze out any more Conan. <laughs> a new Conan ongoing will explore the Sumerians' early years in a year one kind of way. First reported by CBR, Conan the Barbarian, colon, Exodus, follows a 15-year-old Conan as he learns to survive on his own, how to fight, and probably had a shave because his whiskers are coming in, you know? Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. of that age. He's probably, yeah, a young bloomer. Exodus will be written and illustrated by Asad Ribic. That's got me kind of excited. That is interesting. This will be Ribic's first writing project for Marvel after doing smaller projects elsewhere, including a story in Image Comics' 24-7 anthology. Exodus will be Marvel's third ongoing Conan solo series after the Conan the Barbarian and Savage Sword of Conan. Uh, but there are also a slew of yep. uh, tie-ins There's and a fourth coming very soon. The character also appears in the Savage Avengers ongoing and the current limited series spinoff, Age of Conan, Belit. Here's the solicitation for the first issue, due in August. Conan the Barbarian, Exodus, number one, written and illustrated by Asad Ribic with a cover by Ribic. Man versus nature and the never-before-told story of Conan's first journey from Samaria. Ribic, Ribic. <laughs> I couldn't help it. You idiot. <laughs> Long have the stories told of Conan, who came from the frozen hills of his homeland, Samaria, to tread the jeweled thrones of the earth in the Hyborian Age. But now you will witness the epic tale of the young barbarian's first journey from home from visionary creator Asad Ribic. As he gets his driver's learning <laughs> permit. <laughs> Fifteen winters in Samaria have toughened the young Conan, but his greatest challenge lies ahead. Braving the elements without food, without shelter, without weapons, Conan must learn to survive even as nature itself conspires to stop him. The snow freezes his bones, the wolves smell his blood, but if he can reach civilization, will its wounds heal or will his troubles just begin? I predict he's okay. Yeah, I think he'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> With a majestic scope, blah, blah, Spoiler blah. Spoiler alert. Yeah, we don't need to read Conan this lives. <laughs> Like, we know his whole life, right? right. He becomes king, he gets yeah. old. But this is like Conan's Riverdale, basically. Con <laughs> yes, yeah, Conan's yeah. Riverdale. Uh, yeah, the only thing that makes me care about this is Asad Rebecca. That is the only reason I care at all. 
and we're getting very dangerously close to Conan this, Overload. This is exactly already. what we said that they were gonna do. Yes, it's like guys, come on, take it easy. Uh, I mean, really. King Conan has got to be coming soon, right? Well, they've got to. There's going to be. They have to be taking readers away from their own book at this point. Yeah, how many? They have to. How many Conan fans are out there willing to spring for five monthly books? Right. Absolutely. They're like, man, I wish I had a good Conan book I could read every month. You know what? I wish I had five Conan books I could read every. No, (laughs) no. Come on, take it easy. I mean, I will. Joe Patrick from the teaser desk, which is not as perverted as it sounds. Mm, the internet recently saw fit to bless us with the first teasers for both Terminator, Dark Fate, and Star Trek Picard. The new Terminator film, which reportedly picks up after T2 and ignores the rest of the whole franchise. What a great way to go. Yep, totally. <laughs> will feature TV's Ghost Rider, Ghost Driver, yeah. that is, Gabriel Luna, as a new evil robot from the future, and the return of Linda Hamilton's Sarah Connor. She looks so tough. She does. The Picard teaser didn't reveal much more than the return to the Picard family vineyard and a hint that something terrible happened 15 future years ago. I don't know what that means. 15 years ago in the future. You're blowing my mind. That made the Admiral leave Starfleet. Joey, we've both been thoroughly teased. Mm. How are your Ooh, nipples la, feeling? La. Hard as a rock. See, my nip- one of my nipples is very hard. The Picard nipple? Woohoo! <laughs> I'm into it. That's great. I find it exceedingly hard. <laughs> the Picard nipple is the title care- of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I find it exceedingly difficult to care about the Terminator. You know, they just keep trying. They have twisted they it and trying. turned it. And like, uh, traditionally, when Hollywood fucks something up that bad, they go, all right, we're sorry. We're going back to the beginning. We're starting over. And they're like, no, not here. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to pick up after the second one. Yeah. So pay no attention to anything happened. That's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So all of the movies past T2, all they taught us was there's nothing you can do. Humanity is boned. Well, but they Judgment also taught Day us, is coming no matter what. They also taught what. us that nothing counts. Yes. Absolutely nothing counts. Right. So humanity may be boned unless humanity does this, in which case they're not boned for a little bit, but they're boned later. But if they they can unbone themselves by doing this and ignoring what happened to their boning in the last one. I mean, it just, time travel is a sticky wicket. I get it. <laughs> it's a sticky wicket. You know, and we just had a, an Endgame movie that handled it very well and made yeah. fun of Back to the Future who in turn also handled it very well with different rules. There are no fucking rules to Terminator time travel whatsoever. Well, I mean, I guess the they rule do not the apply. rule is that the only the first two movies count and everything else is just a what if, which is fine with me. The rule is there is no rules. My biggest question about the movie is if this takes place after T2, how is there an old Arnold Schwarzenegger? That's an excellent question. Because he took the dunk in the molten lava. I Again, I just I I barely care. I'm I'm gonna call my shot. I think this flops. I really do. I mean, I won't be surprised if it does. Flop. I think it does. I just find it hard to believe that the American public has any connection to this anymore with well, how a, badly they have fucked it up. I'm a sucker for them. I've seen them all in the theater. I have too. You know, and it's like whatever. It. I hope it's good. I'm not expecting it to be good. I feel like this is another Pirates of the Caribbean. We're like 10 minutes in. We're like, no, no, no. This is the good one. We promise. And 10 <laughs> minutes in, I'm just like, God damn it. <laughs> uh, the Picard teaser, though. Woo. 
it li- like literally nothing revealed in this in this teaser. But you don't have to do much. But like the second they showed Picard's face, my yeah. whole body like just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. lit up with with tingles. Yeah. It's almost completely che- like cheating though. They, yeah. You don't have to do anything. Oh god. And then like the 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 theme kind of swelled a little bit. Oh yeah. And then it was like, "Oh. Oh yeah. I love it. I can't wait. I can't wait." Again, no rules, but I don't mind. I don't, <laughs> I don't mind. Either. I don't mind. Now to our big story, following rumors that Batman writer Tom King would be prematurely ending his run on the title with issue 85, CBR has confirmed that the writer is, in fact, leaving the series. However, this is not the end of his work with the publisher as a whole. It was hilarious, because internet trolls everywhere (laughs) began the barbecuing of Tom King immediately. And there was conspiracy shit, like, oh man, that CIA shit was bullshit, and they found out, and like, oh yeah, I've always hated him. Oh, the sales are in the toilet. Now, I didn't hear anything against Tom King. I heard things uh, about DC. That was the other side. The other side were the people that came out to support Tom King, they were like... How dare you, DC? <laughs> he only had 15 issues left, you sons of bitches. <laughs> CBR confirmed that King is leaving the series by the end of 2019. The news was also confirmed by comic book direct market retailer Ryan Higgins, who is a great follow on Twitter, who tweeted that DC confirmed the King Batman news with him directly. After a whirlwind couple days of speculation Woo! and blame, DC has confirmed Tom King's upcoming departure from the core Batman title, but revealed that his Dark Knight stories will continue in a 12-issue Batman Catwoman series drawn by Clay Mann, scheduled to debut in January 2020. So, so if I hadn't had enough of that bat and cat stuff. Oh, yeah, get ready. Oh, baby. Ooh, they're yeah, doubling that's down. right. December's Batman 85 will be King's final issue of the title. However, DC is not revealing who will take his place for 86 and after. The one thing DC does emphasize is that Batman will revert from its twice-monthly shipping back to monthly come January. Thank God. The yeah. double shipping has to stop. It's stupid. It's stu- Again, you're just taking readers away from your own books. Uh, here's a quote from King about how bittersweet it is to leave Batman, blah, blah, blah. King describes his Batman Catwoman book as an ambitious, accessible, beautiful, <laughs> thrilling series. I was that hoping will for conclude, something inaccessible. Yeah, his years <laughs> of stories. This will be a comic about what the best Batman comics are always have always been about, how our greatest hero turns fear into bravery, pain into hope, trauma into love. It's the story I always wanted to tell, and I'm telling it with the man I consider to be the greatest artist in comics, my brother, Clay Mann. Eat shit, Mitch Jarrett. <laughs> I'd like a brief moment of applause for Joe Patrick, who, unlike the internet, calmly said, Matt, we are not going to report on this this week. We're going to wait for the dust to settle. And when we know the truth behind it, we will put out the report. Yeah. Sure enough. And like literally, I had 15 minutes after Joe Patrick says that, DC's like, look, guys, he's not fired. I actually I had already written this script and yeah. the Batman Catwoman stuff had not been announced. That no. was late yesterday. Yes. Uh Harris confirmed that Joel Jones's Catwoman will continue concurrent to King and Man's Batman Catwoman. So there's two Catwoman books for you if you want them. And uh, five Batman books. Right. <laughs> So here's the funny thing, like uh, all the conspiracy theories about why why he's getting fired, is right. he fired? Blah blah blah. Like it was all like super fun to watch in a car wreck. Oh, kind it of was way. hilarious. There was a lot of speculation. Like DC was letting this guy take the ball and run with it, and they got cold feet because his uh, the news of his uh, departure came days after he did an interview where he said that the my final story is going to change Batman. For a generation to come. Now, here's the thing. Do you really think 
DC gets cold feet on something like this. Why would they possibly care? How would they with, not have known by now what the plan was to begin it, with? First of all, yes. Uh, yeah. Like, let's act like they didn't. Let's sure. act like he showed up with a script and Bob Harris was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. like, no, because think how many times we've just reset timelines and said, yeah, ah, right. fuck it, that didn't happen. So the corporate <laughs> over the corporate over the rumor was that the corporate overlords at AT&T were like, oh no, we can't do that to our cash Give me cow. A break. Do you think AT&T even knows that they're printing Batman comics? <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, another rumor is that they're going through with his big game-changing idea, but putting it in a separate miniseries lets them say, you know what? It's its own story. Don't worry about it. It's mm. not really in terms of continuity. I think it gives them the option. It gives them the option, To right. do that. The option. Yes, I agree. Um, so we we don't know. We won't know why the decision was made, but his run's not getting cut short. No. And even if you do the math, if you add on the, the 12 issues, you'll say, but Joe... That's short of the 100 issues he planned. Uh, it is, but... What it, they also said is that after Batman Catwoman, the conclusion of his run will take place in a third miniseries. Of course. Uh, yeah. Obviously not announced So yet. they are doubling down on him. They love yeah, him. Yeah, they love Tom King. And like him or hate him, you the guy sells books. I have enjoyed his run for the most part. There's been some dips here and there, sure. Who takes over after he's gone? Oh, dude, I don't even know. I'm calling my shot. Okay. It's Tom Taylor. It's probably Bendis. It's Tom Taylor. It's probably Bendis. I don't think it's Bendis. I think Bendis is staying focused on his Superman stuff for a while. They've been Tom Taylor has been dipping his feet in the DC pool. I really like it. I mean, I like Tom Taylor. I and think I it's Tom Taylor. With him uh, writing Batman, but I think they're going to give it to a big name, a big high profile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's coming up. It's true. Uh, look, I'm I'm all for it. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories. Well, not being invited to see the Deep Space Nine documentary. That doesn't make any sense because I did see the Deep Space Nine No, see, I wrote it so you would say it out loud, so you could understand that it, how bad it hurts when I didn't get invited to see the Deep Space Nine documentary. Look, you were probably busy that no, day. No, I wasn't. I was not. <laughs> I was not busy that day. Sorry, man. It was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it is... <laughs> Hit us up on the THN Forums Big News section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover Live every Saturday, where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 11.30 to 12.30 Central Standard Time. It's like AM talk radio, but for nerds, and without all the highly edited Nancy Pelosi audio clips. They were, like, pushing out these clips of her that were slowed down to make her sound drunk. Right. And weird. And the president, of course, retweeted yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, what's wrong know? with Pelosi? Yeah. I saw an onion headline where it's like, Pelosi fires back against Dr. Clips saying, when I'm drunk, you'll know it. (laughs) So call us at 402-819-4894 or click the call now button on our Facebook page. If you can't be there live, leave a message or send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Kiddies, it is Spotlight Review Time in the Ziggurat, where Joe and I eviscerate two of this week's new comics, like high school bio students dissecting fetal pigs. That's an honorable memoriam of AP Bio being canceled. Yeah. God damn it. Joe, let's crack these comics open and label the gonads. What do you say? Oh, speaking of gonads, I'm reviewing Heroes in Crisis number nine from DC Comics. It's written by Tom King with art by Clay Mann. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Uh, I'm sorry, Clay, but my spell check corrected your last name to man with just one M, one N. It's a racist spell check you got there. I guess. Jeez. Here, here's your solicit. 
The most talked about miniseries of the year reaches its stunning finale. The mystery behind the murders at Sanctuary is solved, but the mind behind it is one the heroes never expected. With their deepest secrets exposed, the Trinity has to consider how to carry on. Should the tragedy cause them to redouble their efforts to help their hurting comrades, or will they need to close up shop? The answers will be found in the ashes of this final showdown, and the fates of Booster Gold, Harley Quinn, and the rest hang in the balance. Spoiler alert, they call it quits. They're just yeah, like, no more heroing, no. we're done. They we just fucked up. <laughs> Harley Quinn gets murdered, it's real weird. She dies in like the first three pages. All right, now, let's get serious. If you haven't read this issue yet, you should be prepared for spoilers ahead because it's impossible to review this issue without directly addressing specific moments. Yeah. As revealed last issue, Wally West is the accidental sanctuary killer and the purposeful perpetrator of the frame job against Booster Gold and Harley Quinn and the whistleblower leaking Sanctuary's secrets. The past five days have caught up to Wally and his past self stands ready to end his life and close the time loop. We'll talk about that later. Present day Wally is all set to go along with it. That is until our gang of wacky heroes shows up. Suddenly, Wally is giving himself the most after-school special-ass armchair therapist speech about getting help, how we're not alone, and the importance of facing our own mistakes, darn it. Now, this is from the guy that was cool with getting his own neck snapped a few panels ago. Then it gets better. How do you preserve the timeline without killing Wally? Why, you go to the future and clone a dead body, of course. Naturally. Sure. I mean, come on. That's what we did. Yeah. It's a plot twist. So in- I, I, we didn't do that. That wasn't us. Actually. Yeah, no, no. Never mind. It's a plot twist so incomprehensibly stupid that the characters come right out and say as much when Booster explains it. Yeah. I almost felt like it was Tom King admitting that he had a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> it was really weird. Finally, Wally is led away in cuffs by the Trinity as his narration echoes the lessons he supposedly learned about hope and soldiering on. Remember, Wally, you're not alone. Then the last shot of Wally is him sitting in his cell, completely alone, under the silhouette of bars. Pick a tone, Tom. When the book was announced, King promised a story about the emotional toll of being a superhero. Then the murder mystery became the sole focus. Oh, now it's some kind of weird odd couple buddy team up. Then it became a wacky time travel caper. The book tried to go in too many directions and it completely fails to arrive at a satisfying destination. What makes it all seem so pointless is King's recent revelation that this story could have been told about any group of characters, and so the main players were mandated by DC. Really? Yes. Are you kidding me? No. So they I am said not. it had to be Wally. Yep, Wally, Booster, and Harley. That's what they said. Why? I don't. Because Dan DiDio has always hated Wally West. Good God. Clayman is an extremely talented artist who was absolutely the wrong choice for a series like this, I feel. His backgrounds are lush and detailed, and Tomu More's colors add a beautiful softness to everything. But it seems like Man has been emphasizing the sexiness of the characters for the entire series, especially the women. We talked about it with Brian Domingos on Cover to Cover on Saturday. Like, the story's going along, and then randomly, here is a, a shot of Lois in her panties. Uh, okay, time out. Now, I will give Clayman 
that that was a scene in their bedroom late at night, and Superman was also topless laying in bed, and we don't say anything about that. I mean, yeah. I believe that when she's getting ready to go to bed, that's how she's dressed. I didn't have a big problem with that. But, uh, yeah, but the difference, people always bring up the fact, like, the men are unrealistic, too. It, the difference I'm is not the, men, the men are being portrayed saying, as, like, uh, as a symbol of heroism and strength, and the women are being presented as objects to ogle. And I, I don't think that's, think what that's Man necessarily was what was going on there. I mean, yeah, like Lois right. was about to break that story and she was talking to Soups about it. And she only and he was writes like, I get in her it. underwear. I get it. it. We've all been there. It was at night and she was going to bed. Okay. I just feel like it's at odds with the tone of the story when the story can settle on one tone. Uh, in the end, Tom King needed two extra issues to say absolutely nothing of consequence. We didn't get an examination of mental health. All of the heroes at Sanctuary died. The book Borderline portrays the mentally ill as dangerous. Like, it's a bad scene. And it's all at the expense of characters that died for no good reason. Issue number nine is the insulting, borderline, incomprehensible cherry on top of it all. I'm serious. I had to read this book four times. I, I did too. Uh, and I, I read it twice and was just like... Where are we? I still didn't understand <laughs> the ending until I read a couple of articles about it today. I, I'm giving this a leave it. This was a mistake. I just feel like Tom King came into this with a legitimately interesting idea that could have told a story had he, again, like you said, had he settled on what story he wanted to tell. If you want to make Wally the murderer, fine. I don't like that. You've got to stick to it. You've got to stick it. And you've got to say, all right, this is what happened. It was really bad, and it's because he lost his family, and he lost his mind. And that's super upsetting, and we should have been there for more. But you didn't even do that. You didn't even tell that story. You know, I like mean, they, seen, did, they did stick with it in the sense that Wally is still guilty of killing those people. It was just he's still it was guilty of killing them. But, the, but, yeah, they played it off in such a weird, time travel stupid way that it just... Well, I and mean, then this is more of a this is more of a reflection of, of the previous issue, but like the explanation of Wally's master plan in those split seconds after right. after the deaths, he decides to become the universe's greatest hacker, time travel, frame his friends for murder. Yeah, I mean, like there were parts of it I bought, like the whole thing where he was like, "I'm going to make it look like this because I was a crime investigator, and I know that Barry will miss this part of it, and Batman will pick up on this part." Like, I get that, but yeah, I don't necessarily like buy that he went in and hacked the whole system, put it all back together, figured everything out. It, it was just a preposterous way to tell a story that could have been way simpler. How did and Wally it know? Didn't have to be these characters either. How did Wally know to go plant the rose to resurrect Poison Ivy? Right. I mean, who knows? Unless it was in her file or something. Sure, okay. <laughs> but yeah. this was just a jumbled mess that couldn't settle on what it wanted to do or what story it was trying to tell us. And in the end, it, it wasn't even a good head-scratching end like Mr. Miracle, where we're like, man, that was some meta, weird, deep yeah, shit. Yeah, I, I got this some was stuff just to a, chew on here, some, some deep thought. This was just a poorly told story that couldn't commit to its own themes, and I'm giving it as leave it, a leave it as well. There's a way to tell a satisfying mystery that doesn't revolve pulling the solution out of your ass. Yeah, I mean, that's what it seems like. It seems like he disliked what he had set up so much that he just had to come to this preposterous end to get out of it. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. I felt like he wrote himself into a corner and then desperately tried to punch his way out. It just didn't work. All right, Matt. Speaking of incomprehensible comics, <laughs> what are you reviewing this week? On the much lighter and happier end of DC, <laughs> I'm reviewing Batman Last Night on Earth from DC, written by Scott Snyder with art by Greg Capullo, colors by Jonathan Glapion. Here's your solicit. Bruce Wayne wakes up in Arkham Asylum, young, sane, and he was never Batman. So begins this sprawling tale of the Dark Knight as he embarks on a quest through a devastated DC landscape, featuring a massive cast of familiar faces from the DC universe as he tries to piece together the mystery of his past. He must unravel the cause of his terrible future and track down the unspeakable force that destroyed the world as he knew it. And I'm pretty sure I know exactly who it is. (laughs) So I'm not going to read the rest of this because it just harps on how great these guys are. Instead of old manning bats like Marvel's been known, the familiar oh, bat team of Snyder and Capullo take Batman to the end of the DC Earth as fans know it. Wait, you don't think it's important to point out that it was published at DC's standard comic trim size? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't get that at all. <laughs> We've seen Snyder pushing boundaries of late with his metal miniseries, which saw evil Batman from across the multiverse descend on the DCU. Here, Snyder takes us into the twisted mind of Bruce Wayne. Sort of? Maybe, I hope? (laughs) At least, that's what I think is going on, but in true Snyder fashion, hold on tight and watch for that violent left turn. Chapter one of Snyder's script sees Bats investigating a massive but subtle mystery in the streets of Gotham as someone has traced a giant body outline of Batman's corpse with his heart located in the spot his parents were killed. Chapter two, the story takes Bruce to Arkham, where he's being told that his time as Batman was all a fantasy in his addled mind, and he's tended by very familiar-looking medical staff. Of course... Bat starts to put things together, except for the fact that he's 20. But just when he thinks it's a trick played on him by the Mad Hatter, we get another violent left turn. Chapter 3! We see the wasteland Earth has become, and it's a mess. There's speed force storms, there's zombie Green Lantern constructs, and poor, confused Batman is about to figure out why. Chapter 4 goes into some real spoiler territory, so I won't go into it much, that said, I'm not sure I totally understood it either, but I did enjoy the Batman as Mad Max feel of the script. I have to wonder why the choice to make this an adult black <laughs> label book came up, though. Because we didn't even get to see Bruce's little Bruce again. There, there, were, some there were some curse some words. There were some yeah. curse words sprinkled here and there, but nothing like so adult content that this couldn't have been done under the regular DC banner. Like, are you telling me that like this had to be black label because they wanted the Joker to say shit? Uh, well, black label is also a, a place for them to tell stories that don't necessarily fit. Anywhere. I know. Just call it fucking Elseworlds. The plot is very dark and a little flimsy when Snyder reveals how the Earth fell. But again, nothing that needs the adult label here. It's the point where we learn how the Earth got here that it starts to feel like Snyder chose to glance over some serious plot holes to get Batman in this position. But it's also not a deal breaker because we don't know how it's going to end. Greg Capullo's art is just wonderful and keeps the story feeling huge in scope. He moves seamlessly from the tall brooding buildings and dark alleys of Gotham to the hopeless wasteland the Earth has become. I really like his design on Bat's temporary crazy Arkham look and how he designed some of the other characters that were had been living in the wasteland for a long time. 
In the end, the first book in this three-part Last Night on Earth storyline seems like it's going to be a wild ride, even if it's a little wonky on how we got there so far. The creative team is talented enough to have some real fun with this bad apocalypse elseworld, but I do not understand why they chose to pepper the book with a few curse words just to use that black label imprint. I just don't get it. I'm it's giving a it a shiny skim. new toy. I'm giving it a skim it. And I'm giving it a skim it because I need to see where it goes before I give it a leave it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I mean, I don't I don't think it was that bad. Uh, no, I'm not saying it's that bad, but if it's going to do what I think it's going to do. So it you think will it's all a dream? A no. I mean, it's interesting. The art is great, but I really found myself scratching my head at a number of points in this yeah. in this issue. Like Without getting too spoilery, uh, Alfred's master plan was ludicrous. Like, how, why did he think that would work? I, yeah, I mean, there's that. But I, don't, I would argue it's not as ludicrous as why the Earth fell. That was like, what? <laughs> really? Yeah. And I'm not going to go into spoiling anything, but it's just to get this bat character to this place basically and alfred's plan seemed very much similar you yeah. know like we are we are forcing a lot on the plot just to make this wasteland batman story happen sure yeah yeah uh yeah i'm giving it a skimmit as well i agree with you that uh i think that the moments forced the plot rather than the plot being caused by the moments yes, or something. Yes, exactly. Uh, unless, unless, who knows? This is Scott Snyder we're dealing with. So that could all change next issue. We'll see where it goes. I meant to say the moments being caused by the plot. Uh, the other thing I said was exactly the same thing. But yeah, skim it. So that is a Double leave it for Heroes in Crisis number nine and a double skim it for Batman Last Night on Earth. We'll post our written <laughs> reviews over at 2 so you can check yourself into rehab after reading them. But we need to know what you nerds thought of these comics, too. So call us this weekend, THN, cover to cover, full spoilers. I want to talk about both of these, and I want to get into it, man, because I found myself scratching my head quite a bit at the end of both of these comics. Yeah. Memorial Day is over, kids, and that means summer is here. Now that Avengers Endgame is behind us, we can get down to the serious business of Child's Play remakes and illegal fireworks. Matt, instead of another of your long-winded rants about why Brad Dourif should be voicing Chucky, why don't we shoot bottle rackets at each other and review eight more of this Wednesday's new comics during the ludicrous speed round? It's nothing against Mark Hamill, and I think he'll do a great job, but Brad Dourif is still alive, goddammit. Ludicrous speed! Go! Hellboy versus Lobster Johnson, the Ring of Death, one shot from Dark Horse. Mike Mignola may have blown up the damn world in the pages of BPRD, but he's not letting that stop him from telling a fun Hellboy story like that time he and Lobster Johnson, but maybe not the original LJ, I'm not real clear on that, starred in a 1960s Mexican wrestling movie. Mike Norton is fantastic as usual, showing the movie version while Paul Grist gives readers a more realistic and drunk Hellboy version of the story. Whatever McNolan and co-writer Chris Roberson are doing with Hellboy going forward needs to happen soon because I need to wash the taste of that crappy movie out of my mouth. Buy it! But did this you, one is probably only for the hardcore fans. Did you finally see it? Yeah. It was good. Superman Leviathan Rising Special number one from DC! 
We learn a little bit more about the mysterious Leviathan in advance of Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev's upcoming event. Plus, Greg Rucka and Matt Fraction debut their takes on Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen, and both of them struck the exact tone I was hoping for. Great art throughout by Yannick Paquette, Mike Perkins, Steve Lieber, and Eduardo Pensica. Leviathan Rising gets a huge buy it from me. I am excited. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm super freaked out about this. X-Men Grand Design Extinction, number one from Marvel. Writer-artist Ed Pisker returns for his final installment of his neck-breakingly fast-paced X-Men history, this time focusing on some beloved X-stories from my childhood, The Mutant Massacre and The Fall of the Mutants. Pisker's style and Golden Age storytelling mixed with this much more violent era of the X-Men is just pitch perfect and embraces the ridiculousness of characters like Mr. Sinister and Longshot. I just wish he could retell all of the X stories. I love it, and I'm giving it a buy it. Angel, number one from Boom! After Buffy's recent reboot, you had to know everyone's favorite vampire with a soul wouldn't be far behind. Brian Edward Hill brings a different but still familiar take on the character, and we get some glimpses of his demonic past as Angelus. I enjoyed artist Gleb Melenkov's work here. He's not a slave to the actress likeness. The very handsome David Boreanaz. But the character is definitely recognizable. I have always loved Angel, and I enjoyed this fresh start. I'm giving it a buy it. I love Angel, too. I would let Angel kiss my mouth. I know you would. She said... What? I said he's so pretty. (laughs) She said destroy, number one, from Vault. This wasn't quite the fairy tale meets sci-fi story I was expecting, and writer Joe Corallo might just want the readers to root for the bad guys here. The story follows a sun goddess that's forced the entire galaxy to worship her, except for one colony of fey witches who still use magic fueled by their belief in the death goddess, Morrigan. That's right, there's a lot of ancient British fairy lore reference, and it would work as a nice foil to the enemy's tech in the sci-fi tale, but... Liana Kangas' art is not a good choice for this book. It did not work. I'm giving it a skim it because the story is pretty creative. Star Wars, the original Marvel years, number 108 from Marvel, the Star Wars book we were all clamoring for. (laughs) Writer Matthew Rosenberg teams up with an army of artists on this sequel to the classic story of Valance the Hunter. All your old favorites are back. Most importantly, Jackson, the green space bunny. Oh, I missed him so much. <laughs> this, this was a decent one shot. It's dressed in a delightful throwback style. They even do like the color dots. But I can't imagine it will be of much interest for people that never read the original series. Yeah, um, like who is this for? But I love Carmen Infantino's Star Wars stuff so much. But like, I don't need more of it. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? mean? It's pretty cheesy. <laughs> I'm giving Star Wars 108 a strong skinner. Killer Groove, number one from Aftershock. Who doesn't love a good story of violent crime and folk music? Writer Ollie Master tells the story of Johnny, a musician in 1970s L.A. working in a crappy bar and getting drunk with his P.I. buddy Jackie. A hitman gets involved and suddenly Johnny realizes he's not going to have quite the same path to fame as his folk idols. <laughs> Eowyn Marin's art is perfect for this crime noir period piece that feels like a great TV pitch. I will say the solicit made it sound like it was about rock and roll, but I got this definitely like Bob Dylan kind of folky jive from Johnny, but whatever. Give it a buy it. It was really good. Stranger Things 6, number one from Dark Horse. What does that mean? Season 6, number one? No. 6. Oh, 6. Yeah. 6. The character 6. 
Jody Hauser offers this prequel tale about another test subject at the infamous Hawkins Laboratory in the late 70s. Six is an interesting character. I liked her backstory, but the issue was kind of dull. Edgar Salazar's art is okay. It's kind of unremarkable, a little bit dull. Stranger Things, the show, relies so much on the visuals and the actor's chemistry and the pacing of it. It just it might not be the sort of thing that works as a comic. I totally agree. I don't think Dark Horse can make a good Stranger Things comic. I mean, it might be out there. Prove me wrong. I'm giving it a skim it for now. Sharkoom! That is your ludicrous speed round, and Sharkoom is the sound of Thor. Pardon me. King Thor. King Thor. All right. Come on. Get it straight. <laughs> it's the sound of King Thor punching the shiz out of a space shark thrown at him by young Thor. This onomatopoeia onomat- <laughs> of the week was submitted by New Guy via the THN forums. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can Sharkoom it at us. Or it might be easier to hit us up on any of our social media or shoot an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. This week in the Sanctum Sanctorum, we're pleased to welcome our very special guests, the Mothra Twins! Ladies and gentlemen, these two identical little ladies are performing their one and only hit, the Mothra Song that summons everyone's favorite giant moth and protector of children, Mothra, for our personal listening pleasure. Joe, while the ladies start in the ninth verse, why don't you tell these nerds about your must-read pick for Wednesday, June 5th. I'm never going to get this out of my head. It's just, it's stuck. (laughs) My pick for next week is Thumbs, number one from Image Comics, written by Sean Lewis with art by Hayden Sherman. It's 60 pages for $4.99. That was your nickname in high school, wasn't it? Yeah, Thumbs Patrick. Here's your solicit. Imagine someone like, say, Mark Zuckerberg. Never heard of him. Created his own army of tech-obsessed teens and directed them to take on the government. Whoa. (laughs) What would the fallout be? Charlie Thumbs Fellows is a member of just such an army, poor and raised by the influential mom app. He finds... TM, TM, TM. Gotcha. He finds himself in the center of a war. A social network meets Blade Runner in this big event book from the team that brought you the hit series, The Few. Uh, did we read The Few? Yes, I loved The Few. What was The Few? I'm drawing uh, a blank. It was kind of like post-apocalyptic kind of survival. Are you making this up? No, okay. it's great. Because um, that's what I would say if I wanted to make it sound like I read it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, this sounds fun. I love, uh, I loved The Few. This is a great creative team. Looking forward to great it. Great premise. I'm yeah. in. Matt. Now that the singing's over, tell us about your pick. My pick for next week is Ignited, number one, from Humanoids, written by Mark Wade and Kwanzaa, man. Osafiefo. 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 Sorry, I apologize. Art by Philip Briones. It is 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Welcome to the H1 universe and Ignited. Humanoid's first ever ongoing superpowered series brought to you by an explosive team who I already read and an explosive artist with covers by John Cassidy and Yannick Paquette. It's the first day back at Phoenix Academy High, but this year there's no back to school excitement in the air as returning students and faculty are haunted by memories of last year's horrific attack. So many friends and colleagues were lost and some of those who survived underwent changes they ignited gaining supernatural abilities they barely understand. Little do they know, this is just the beginning. The humanoids trying to sell some superhero comics. 
They went and got the right guy, Mark Wade. Yeah, the free comic book day uh, special was great. It was really good. Yeah, I'm looking I'm, forward to it. Yeah, not as many dicks as I thought there would be in this one. No, they're really torn to Humanoid love, they pack their books full of dicks, <laughs> man. <laughs> the THN Trade of the Week goes to the Grand Abyss Hotel original hardcover graphic novel from Boom Studios. It's written by Marcus Pryor with art by David Rubin. It's 128 pages for $24.99. Here is your solicit. That creative team I just named weave a politically satirical look at democracy today through the lens of hyperviolence and explosive action. I won't even pay attention to violence. It's hyper. <laughs> Imagine a world overrun by big business and fake news via the social media machine. In the Grand Abyss Hotel, neoliberalism has become a state religion with, while the citizens quietly and then not so quietly rebel, giving way to violence on the streets and sowing chaos in the sheets. A masked vigilante takes on the role of a hero to battle politicians, the erosion of democracy, and social media. After the fires burn low and the dust settles, social order returns. What does it? I had to look and see if that in the sheets part was actually in there. No, no, I added that. I was like, is there a weird sexy thing I, I added, I added like... that for flavor. <laughs> uh, gosh, that's two uh, social media commentary books that I picked on accident. It's almost like that is heavily in the weighing news on the right now. Weighing on the zeitgeist. Do you know? This does sound fun, but the main reason I picked this is because of David Rubin, uh, artist of books like uh, Rumble and Battling Boy, The Rise of Aurora West. Crazy and, talented. Uh, Ember. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ember? No. Was it? Ether. Ether. Uh, yes. For Dark Horse. He is Ether. so friggin' talented. He's stupid talented. And I think this, book's looks, this book looks great. These are just a few of the comics hitting the new shelves at your LCS next week. That's how the cool kids say local. Let us know what you're reading at the THN forums, and let us know what you would like us to review on this damn show. Ladies, take us out. Take us out, will you? Two weeks in a row now, we've forced our love slaves into finishing the show because it's just easier than coming up with our own content. <laughs> this week, we once again find a dispatch from the past. It's time for another segment starring our pen pal from the neither world. JD, gotta catch them all. Lake House to Ziggurat, Lake House to Ziggurat. It's JD, gotta catch with the Marvel Unlimited report for November 2018. Sorry the bandwidth is spotty, I'm transmitting through an anonymous Tumblr page where Joe posts his Vampire Diaries, The Bachelor crossover slash fic. Give me a second, let me see if I can work this out here. Okay, that should be better. Okay, so, uh, here it's the end of election season, and... Apparently, the mere existence of our resident Cheeto-in-Chief has meant that we have now have a record number of women and diverse candidates in Congress. So, yay! In Geek World, Disney has announced a slew of new shows for their new service, rumored to be called Disney+. Plus. But the news that's really rocking the comics community is that on November 12th, we lost the man himself, Stan Lee. He was a complicated figure some seeing him as a genius creator, cunning marketer, others as a con artist and carnival barker. The truth is, is he was all of these things and more. Regardless of what you think of the man, one cannot escape the truth that without him, this collective hobby and medium would not be what we celebrate today. Rest in peace, Stan. And now, on to the comics. 
First, I want to talk about What If Magic Became the Sorcerer Supreme, written by Leah Williams, with art by Felipe Andrade, and colors by Chris O'Halloran. The revival of the What If books has been largely hit or miss, not unlike its original incarnation, but this particular story was everything I wanted in a What If book. The premise was exciting, but not all that out of the realm of believability. Uh, it was something, it was the type of hook you'd see in almost like an Exiles book. Um, there's an intro on the title page that brings you up to speed on on Ilyana's background, but also tells you where this one's different. Uh, I do kind of miss the uh, Watcher intros, though. Those were always kind of interesting. But in, in this version, Ilyana... After she escapes from Belasco, she runs away on her own and does not go back to the New Mutants. So it's kind of a what it would Ileana be without that influence. Uh, Leah Williams does an excellent job of writing Ileana as, you know, as a believable young girl, but also balancing that demonic element in her. The story shows her hitchhiking across the desert and taking out the, well, what you'd expect would be attracted by a young teenage girl hitchhiking in the desert. Uh, but her rampage of creeps and pederasts eventually gains the attention of Dr. Strange. He confronts her, thinking her to be a demonic threat, only to find this young sorceress who's been tortured into a reluctant beast. He decides to take her on as an apprentice. Williams writes in a delightfully snarky Strange, which balances perfectly with the rightfully distrustful and petulant Ileana. Their dynamic is one of the shining parts of this book. Eventually, Strange explains to her that he's been grooming her to be his replacement. Andrade's art here is a spectacle, with all the right shades of harsh angles and sketchy lines mixed with geometric shapes and some downright surreal perspectives. Two standouts are a double-page spread in which Strange is teaching Ayana creation magic, or attempting to, and all the different attempts are separated by these really psychedelic... Uh, geometric shapes, and it, it's something straight out of it's it's straight out of Storenko. Uh And then later, there's a panel of Ilyana losing control. I'm not going to say why, for the sake of spoilers. I want everyone to read this book. But she's lifting all the sea life out of the ocean. It's and it's followed by Strange kind of teleporting her away. And it just the sequence and the storytelling in those panels is amazing. This is an excellent story with some of the greatest art I've seen out of Marvel in a while. It's interesting that it would appear here in a one-off book, but regardless, I'm just grateful for the taste that we got. Next, uh, this isn't a new book. This is something... All right, we all have those blank spots in our reading, and it wasn't until rumors of an Eternals film started banding about that I realized I'd read nothing involving the Eternals. This was all the more incredulous once I realized that there was a 2006 miniseries written, written by one of my all-time favorite writers, Neil Gaiman. So I cranked up the Lakehouse Wayback Machine, dove in on Neil Gaiman and John Romita Jr.'s Eternals from 2006. From the first issue, I could see that this was definitely a good pairing for Gaiman and J.R.J.R. The story of these mythic figures hidden in everyday life away from the world and themselves, lends itself to Gaiman's sense of fantasy and whimsy. Even the nameplay of Mark Curry, Macari, and Icarus, Icarus, smacks of Neil's brand of clever. The artist's classic J.R.J.R., signature figure work while remaining classic. He's not breaking any new ground here, but he's definitely cementing himself as a master. I thought the story was solid, if not a little dragging, 
Uh, it was supposed to be six issues. It expanded into seven. However, it still felt unfinished by the end of it. There were parts that dragged, i.e. the characters finding themselves. I, But I personally think amnesiac stories always drag. Uh, it's just a personal thing. But then, strangely, the story sped up to be tied up quickly at the end where they confront the Celestial, but never really resolve anything. Uh, where I think this story suffers the most is its connection to the Marvel Universe at large. Uh, Iron Man, Yellow Jacket, and Wasp, the only superheroes really that appear, feel shoehorned in and suffer greatly from being in their post-Civil War initiative stage, which was not a good look for Marvel in the first place, and they have come off feeling like a broken record, just constantly coming up to the Eternals and asking them to register. It's kind of bizarre and smacks of editorial heavy-handedness. There's definitely an interesting story here, and I think a film will be interesting and more than likely take heavily from this series, but the material as it stands is an unfinished work by two masters that were handcuffed by editorial and continuity. Well, that's all for me. I hate ending on a down note, but that's the risk you run when riding the Wayback Machine. But that's the gig. If you're not paying cover and not in a hurry, everything deserves a chance. Excelsior. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it! For THN 530, and the rumors on Twitter are that 531 has been pulled because of creative differences. No, it's just gotten split off into its own series. Uh, oh, I see. Joe Patrick, before we blame our fan base for this, ask these nerds a new question of the week. I will. This week's question comes from Carl Smith via the THN Facebook fan page. My mind is blown to discover Dead Souls was made by the same creators as Armored Core and Tenshu, two games in my top 10 console memories. Do you have any other examples like that where you discovered that two or more elements of your fandom were connected? Oh, neat. It doesn't have to be video games. It could be anything. Yeah, yeah, no. Like, for example, like, the guy that wrote the screenplay for, uh, whatever movie was Christos Gage, who and wrote my favorite Stormwatch series. He did Fish Police, the movie? <laughs> <laughs> if you're new to this show and you wrote your congressman an angry email after I screamed dildo repeatedly in the last episode. And I do apologize for that. I assure you it's only because you're a prude and you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com, but hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Jesse Kiefer, who's been supporting us since we launched the Patreon site back in 2017. That is a lot of broken promises that that man has put up It's with. true. He's got his own Patreon page for his Grawlix podcast. You, do. you guys should check it out. It's a good show, too. And they are very good about posting constant content. Yeah, making us look bad. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the official THN old-timer, Greg Litchfield, who's always there with a like and a retweet every damn time we post a new episode. Or to you, Greg, we miss you. He also uh, posts, like, Lightning's ludicrous speed round sort of uh, uh, reviews yeah, yeah. every week, and they're very good. Check them out. It's a good follow. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, or your retailer just might start preaching about your impending doom on the Twitters. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off.